Brave Browser is now going to handle these annoying cookie consent banners. TikTok is facing more fines. Severe matrix vulnerabilities were fixed. Some data breach updates. And we want to welcome you to Surveillance Report 105, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I am Henry from TechLore after a nice hiatus. <laughs> I'm Nathan from The New Oil, and I've been here the whole time. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> Almost the whole time. <laughs> 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 so, um, promo segment this week, same stuff, guys. Monero, if you want to support us privately, we see all of those donations. We really appreciate it, but we don't know who you are, and that's kind of the magic of Monero. It's just a way to support us. Um, but if you want some perks, join our Patreon. You get to ask us a Q&A. We didn't actually get questions this week, so go ahead and ask those questions. Join our Patreon and be a part of that monthly thing that really helps us out. And we're gonna dive right into the highlight story this week, which is Brave Browser. They have announced another very cool and exciting thing. Um, it's nothing new, but it's cool to see this by default in a browser. And it's they're going to be blocking those annoying and privacy harming cookie consent banners. That's when you access a website and it's like, do you want to accept cookies? And a lot of them make it super difficult to just say no. So this is already in the alpha version of the Brave browser, um, but it will be public starting in October. They will be blocking these on Android and desktop with iOS soon to follow. Not answering a cookie consent should be treated the same as rejecting it. At least that's how sites should Inserting some context here, I was kind of unsure because Nate put a note here about cookie consent if it's still honored by just being blocked. And so um, it sounds like this just blocks it and it's up to the site whether or not they respect that. Uh, we're a bit uncertain on how that works. So if anyone has insight, let us know. We've already t said in the past that uh, you can do this yourself using something like EasyList Cookie List found in uBlock Origin, which is a great uh, extension in inside of the annoyances. Uh, so if you're on Firefox or simply don't want to use the Brave List, you can actually enable that instead inside of uBlock Origin. But this is a super nice change and I'm excited for it. And I hope other browsers start picking up on this because it's obnoxious. And it'll be one more reason, you know, we always talk about how like a great way to get people into privacy and using privacy tools is to talk about the features rather than the privacy perspective. This will be another point, like, hey, if you download Brave, blocks ads on YouTube, blocks those annoying cookie banners, like, so, yeah. Just like Chrome, takes like 10 <laughs> seconds to switch. Like, yeah, it's really easy to sell Brave from Chrome nowadays. All right, that'll take us into data breaches. We're gonna start off with a real quick one that says the US arm of Israeli defense giant Elbit Systems says that it was hacked. This affected 369 employees. It included names, addresses, dates of birth, direct deposit information, ethnicity, and social security number. And unfortunately, that's about all we know at this time. If we hear anything more, we'll keep you guys updated. Shrangli Law Hotel's customer database was hacked. This hotel group has said that a database containing the personal information of customers at eight of its properties between May and July has been hacked. This breach covered hotels in Hong Kong, Singapore, Man, American moment. I'm sorry, everyone. Ch Chiang Mai. Yeah, I've never seen that one either. I don't know. Taipei, right? Yes. And then Tokyo. Um, but the company has not been able to determine what data was stolen. The breach took place in May and July when they were hosting Asia's top security summit. So uh, ironic. Uh, and they said that the database included guest contact info, but personal information such as date of birth, identity and passport numbers, and credit card details were encrypted. My first thought actually was this might be a state thing if it happened during Asia's top security summit. This might have been like a state level attack because apparently the uh, they name checked the U.S. Secretary of Defense, I think they said was there. Interesting. So, so you think it could have been a targeted thing? 
I, I think this was a state attack, but yeah, they, we don't have a lot of details yet. We'll have to wait and see. Our next story comes from California where PG&E was publicly exposing partial security num social security numbers of consumers through its use of their website. So PG&E is California's, I believe, main energy provider yeah, we, or biggest one. We hate PG&E around here. <laughs> Not good. PG&E. And they suck apparently. <laughs> PG&E is um, like starts fires. They charge way too much. I'm paying like 46 cents a kilowatt hour during peak. Like it's ridiculous. We don't like PG&E. <laughs> God almighty. Um, yeah, so the author discovered this vulnerability while they were trying to, um, I don't know if they were trying to sign up for new service or just kind of messing around, but they noticed on the website, there's an option to sign up without a social security number. It's called like a sign up with alternative ID or something. And this is a feature that PG&E only offers online. And as it says, instead of handing over to social, you upload an ID, like a driver's license or a passport. Well, the author very quickly figured out that they don't actually verify this ID because at one point they entered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for the passport number. Instead, PG&E, like once you upload the ID, they redirect you to Experian's identity verification service, which asks you a series of questions. And this is one of the reasons that we're kind of paranoid about like sharing personal details, because these are the things where it'll be like, um, which address have you been associated with? And then it'll list like four street names and you pick the one you've lived on before. According to this uh, author, every single test they did, the very first question was, please select the last four of your social. Again, like I mentioned, it's always multiple choice. So your real social is listed there. And additionally, they're always in sequential numbers. So the author says, if your social security, the last four of your social is one, two, three, four, the options might be one, two, three, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five, and one, two, three, six. So basically, You've already got a person's name and address. Now you've got the last four of their social, or at least you've got like four good leads on it of what it could be. The first five numbers are determined by place of birth. So if you know where they're from, you can figure that out. PG&E did fix this by removing the option to sign up without a social altogether. Yeah, now you have to give your social to PG&E, who clearly was not taking this very seriously to begin with. I don't know, just not, not great, but yeah, that's uh. That was happening. American Airlines learned it was breached from phishing targets. We love when it's learned. Uh, so this is an update to a story from last week. We can now confirm that American Airlines was breached via an employee's hacked Microsoft 365 account. The investigation also showed that the attacker accessed multiple employee accounts and used those to fish additional accounts. Not good. We also have an update to the Uber and GTA 6 hacks. The UK police have made an arrest of a teenager. Uh, UK laws do not allow for the printing of minors' names, which is probably a good idea. And also, yes, we missed the GTA story. Sorry, guys. Um, that one just kind of slipped through the cracks. But yeah, police have arrested an unnamed 17-year-old in, in Oxfordshire in connection with these hacks. And again, this is one of those stories that's all we know right now. If we hear anything else, we'll keep you updated. Next story, <clears throat> I'm gonna call someone out because we... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly which one you're going for, too. Someone, uh, you know who I am, because you watched the episode really quickly last week, said, where's the Australian story? <laughs> and I responded, we record these on Saturday, and, like, we published the last SR on Tuesday, because that's when I got around to publishing it. And I left that comment, and then you deleted your comment, because you know you messed up. So here it is. <laughs> We're finally covering it. We record these on Saturday. It is Saturday, October 1st when we do this. Just a general reminder for the timing of this and why sometimes we miss stories by the time you watch these live. Um, so the Optus hacker apologizes and allegedly deletes all the stolen data. So this is back to um, 
this previous data breach from last week. Um, this all seems pretty interesting. The attacker allegedly behind Optus has apologized for stealing the data and claims to have deleted the only copy of it. However, this was after they tried to sell the data online after the ransom didn't work. Um, some victims have already reported re receiving text messages threatening them to hand over money or else get their identity stolen. So some data was already shared, um, maybe it was sample data, but the attacker says the leak has attracted way too much attention and that's why they're deleting this, probably because now they're a little bit worried behind all of it. There are other updates we'll discuss later in the episode in the politics section. Um, at people looking for those. There, there's also one thing that I forgot to note in here, but uh, it turns out the breach was actually bigger than initially in, uh, believed. I believe last week yes. we said it was only like 2 million people were affected, and now they're saying it's like over 10 million, uh, and I think might even include more information than we initially uh, said. Again, like, like Henry said, we record those Saturday, uh, usually in the afternoons, so sometimes after we record, things come out and, you know, we just... We add that to next week's updates. So It's not personal. We're not trying to leave you guys out. It's just things move so fast sometimes between recording and publication. Even if we get them out on time on Sunday nights, sometimes between the time we record and the time we publish, things just happen that we didn't know at the time. Speak, so, yeah. speak for yourself. I actually really, this is, a, this is a personal vendetta against Australians on my end. <laughs> oh, I love Australians. I don't. I dated an Australian. No, I'm, great. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Totally messing around. Um, no. I like all Australians except our Australian moderator in Discord. <laughs> no, I love you, Tomo. Okay, with that, we'll move into companies. We're going to start off with Cloudflare, who made a couple of big moves this week, and we're going to start with their attempt to replace the CAPTCHA. So Cloudflare is offering a CAPTCHA alternative that they are calling Turnstile to anyone, whether you're a Cloudflare customer or not. I'm going to quote the article here. Turnstile utilizes Cloudflare's management, uh, managed challenge system, which takes cues from user behavior, browser data, and on Apple devices, private access tokens to distinguish human visitors from bots and scripts. Cloudflare claims that, it is, that its managed challenge system was able to reduce 91% of CAPTCHAs served to its customers' visitors over a year. Turnstile integrations run a series of small non-interactive JavaScript challenges to investigate the visitor, including proof of work in space, probing for web APIs, and various other challenges for detecting browser quirks and human behavior. Cloudflare's post states, the challenges vary by visitor and machine learning can update the model with the common features of visitors who previously passed a test. The user only sees verifying, uh, for a moment and then success. And I've actually seen that on a few websites, so I wonder if this is something they've been testing for a while. Cloudflare also argues that their alternative will be more private since Google is an ad company and arguably, probably, is using CAPTCHA to track users across the web, uh, which is why a lot of people are not fans of Google CAPTCHA. Cloudflare claims they have no incentive to do this since they make their money in plenty of other ways. You can take that last bit any way you want. Cloudflare is a very controversial company. Is it more private? Mm. That's up for you to decide. On the topic of Cloudflare, they are now launching an eSIM service to secure mobile devices. And just some context, we're probably going to start seeing a lot more eSIM type of things come out ever since Apple dropped physical SIMs on the iPhone 14. Um, that's probably what... Dude, I just noticed... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just noticed last week that my phone has an eSIM in it. It's a second gen SE. Yeah, yeah, no, like... Like, it has a physical SIM, but it also has an eSIM. I just found that out the other day when I was, like, scrolling through the settings. Yeah, that's... Didn't even know iPhones that. have had eSIMs for a long time. The change now is just that it's only eSIM on the iPhone yeah. 14 in the U.S. And I yeah, think I now, like, we're going to start seeing a lot more eSIM-oriented <laughs> services to kind of keep up with the times. But pretty much Cloudflare has launched two new eSIM services. One is called Zero Trust SIM, and one is Zero Trust for mobile operators. Zero Trust SIM basically encrypts all the packets leaving your phone and locks to specific devices to reduce the risk of SIM swapping. 
It requires mobile device management, though, on iOS devices, which pretty much gives uh, Cloudflare a lot of control over your phone. So as long as you trust that, then that's a win. If you don't, then uh, you're kind of screwed. The CTO argues that this would be more secure than a VPN which based on what we learned about VPNs on iOS recently is probably not very hard to do. On the drawback side, Cloudflare admits that they can man in the middle of your packages, which is what we were saying earlier, or what I was saying earlier, um, and I'm sure Nate would have said the same thing about uh, them having to have mobile device management. So they cite how they can rewrite, rewrite DNS requests, leaving a device to instead use Cloudflare Gateway for DNS filtering, which is great for security, um, but hopefully that's optional and not mandatory. And also, again, with a lot of these things, it's kind of a transfer of trust. This is no different than a VPN, right? People ask, is a VPN private? And it's like, it depends. Um, you're kind of transferring trust over to Cloudflare. Cloudflare for something like this. They've had less to say about zero trust for mobile operators other than it allows carriers to offer subscriptions to mobile security tools from Cloudflare's zero trust platform. This sounds more enterprise driven, so I don't think that's what we are going to be seeing for end users probably listening to this podcast. Google is delaying the death of Manifest version 2 extensions to 2024. Um, just a personal note here, I, I, I did deploy to Iraq, yeah, because I was in the military, for those of you who don't know, and, you know, people would always ask, just out of curiosity, like, so when are we going home? And they would always tell us, you'll know when we're going home when you board the plane, uh, because the dates would constantly change on us. Uh, and this is a lot, I, I, I mentioned that because this is exactly what this whole Google Manifest version 3 thing feels like. It feels like they keep moving dates, but not entirely. So this actually only applies to enterprise by default, version two is still going to be disabled in June of 2023, um, so less than a year away, but enterprises and companies will have the option to keep it enabled until January of 2024, at which point it'll be totally gone. Because, you know, usually companies have a harder time changing over and changing all their systems and stuff. Or you can just switch to Brave, who has said that they will continue to support version two. Um, Firefox has also said that, so. Problem with V3 that people are complaining about is it won't allow things like ad blockers at least as easily because it's disabling access to certain things extensions can do, which I think is done for the right reasons because I think extensions probably have way too much control. But in doing so, it gives up the, it's kind of like um, Brave on iOS. You know, they're locked away from doing good things, um, but it prevents people from doing bad things. And, and also it limits the number of rules. So even when you do have an ad, ad blocker, it can only block so many things. So yeah, um, that's kind of what the privacy community is concerned about manifest. So version two will continue to be supported in Brave and Firefox, which is great because that means your ad blocker will continue to work just fine in those, those browsers. So, yeah. to, to be honest, um, I'm not technical enough to understand this. So if someone does know, let me know. But my guess is something like Brave even if Brave was forced to use V3 or, or Firefox or any browser, um, they could still bake in a lot of this awesome functionality um, into the actual browser itself. So I think Brave saying they'll continue supporting V2 is more uh, of just PR for them. Show. Because ah. even if Brave moved to V3, they can probably still do like their own ad blocking and everything within their own browser. That's just my guess, but someone correct me if I'm wrong. Samsung has been sued for gobbling up too much personal information that mis miscreants. miscreants then stole. What is, what's a miscreant? We're learning. Like words. a, like a, a ne'er-do-well, a rascal, somebody who's up to no good. All right. Well, these miscreants <laughs> <laughs> stole the data. So um, pretty straightforward. A class action lawsuit in California alleges Samsung unnecessarily collects personal information and then failed to properly secure it. Uh, this comes after multiple data breaches, including a recent one we covered in which user and customer personal information was stolen. They argue that Samsung forces users to sign up and hand over this data in order to get updates, 
which uh, is true. And uh, just being on a Samsung phone uh, already involves a lot of data collection that we are not fans of. Generally, I think I can speak for Nate on this as well. If you're getting any Android device, we generally always recommend stock Android or something as close to stock as possible. And obviously there's custom ROMs too, but we're just talking about if you're just going to a store to buy an Android device. Amazon's Ring announces plans to use a robot for security patrols alongside new home security devices. Uh, to be honest, there's really no takeaway here. Uh, we're just, uh, Amazon had a big, uh, a big event this week where they unveiled a bunch of new products and we're just kind of letting you know, surprise to no one probably, Amazon is continuing to expand their surveillance empire under the guise of things like home security. Uh, for example, I, I mean, they've announced a whole bunch of stuff, but a couple of the like security and surveillance specific things that stick out. They announced a new subscription tier for Ring that offers a spotlight that uses radar to detect motion more accurately. And they announced an integration between Ring and their little robot named Astro, which can allow Astro to basically function as a security guard. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, that one makes sense for like companies. They mentioned how like a company that can't afford a security guard, but still has a need for that, they could get an Astro and then they could link this up. And if Astro like hears a noise in the building, it'll go investigate and you can see it on the camera. and. Um, stuff like that, but you know, it's still Amazon, so there's still a lot of concerns there. Man, we, we need to get a, we need to get an Astro, but like military armed model. <laughs> <laughs> Future's here. Oh no, give it a week. I know this. Someone's gonna put a gun on Astro. <laughs> Cause remember, don't you remember? Uh, I think it was like Boston Dynamics or whatever. It came out with like a robot. Somebody came out with like a robot dog. And I forget who I was listening. It was one of the podcasts I listened to. They're like, oh yeah, this company came out with a robot dog. Somebody's going to put a gun on it. <laughs> and then like a month later, some defense company was like, yeah, we took the robot dog and put a gun on it. And now it can go out and do patrols. And it's just like, that podcast was literally like, told you. Yep. Told you it was going to happen. Astro with a gun on it. <laughs> oh, Astro's going to get a gun. Don't you worry. I guarantee it. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> gotta fit in with the u.s how tiktok tracks you across the web even if you don't use the app i know we always give this disclaimer and i think it's always important to give this is kind of a no duh article for a lot of frequent listeners but this isn't a no duh article for a lot of the people out there and honestly i don't think it's that no duh because i think there's a very loud portion of the privacy community that just goes oh i don't have a tiktok account and it's like you're still missing a big part of the problem here so tiktok tracks users even without accounts via tracking pixels to look into TikTok's use of online tracking, uh, Consumer Reports, okay, get Consumer Reports asked the security firm Disconnect to scan about 20,000 websites for the company's pixels. In their list, they included the 1,000 most popular websites overall, as well as some of the biggest sites with domains ending in .org, .edu, and even .gov. They wanted to look at those sites because they often deal with sensitive subjects, and they found hundreds of organizations are sharing data directly with TikTok. These included sites include things like the United Methodist Church's main site, Weight Watchers, the Arizona Department of Economic Security, Planned Parenthood, and more. Um, not to go too much on a side tangent, but I know we covered um, when the Roe v. Wade stuff happened, how people who did value uh, reproductive privacy a little bit more, it's not just your period tracker, it's everything. And this is another uh, connection there to that as well. So this article says that so far Meta and Google are exponentially worse than TikTok still, but they note that TikTok is still growing and this is likely going to get worse and adding a third person to the mix probably isn't a good thing. So this is something just to put on everyone's radar. It's a good story to share with people you know, even people who don't use TikTok, just to educate them on how widespread this tracking goes. And our last company story, Safegraph is closing their digital shop that sold abortion clinic location data. 
Uh, we've recorded or we've reported about this in the past about how SafeGraph sells location data, including sensitive data like trips to uh, Planned Parenthood or you know abortion clinics. Um, due to mounting public pressure, SafeGraph has decided they will just no longer sell individual data at all. Instead, they will focus on other their other primary source of income, which is global points of interest. So, for example, coffee shops, stores, and, quote, other landmarks. And then other companies can uh, access this data to confirm that their own maps are accurate or update them accordingly. Uh, so, in my opinion, I think SafeGraph is still tracking people because how else would they get this point of interest data in the first place? Um, but I guess it's good that they're not going to be selling actual location data. I mean... They still shouldn't be tracking people just before anyone gets mad. Like, I don't think this is okay, but it's a step in the right direction because now they're just going to be saying like, yeah, there's a coffee shop here as opposed to like, here's how many people visited the coffee shop on Tuesday. And this week there was no research. So yeah, we're going to head right into politics and we're going to start with House Democrats debut new bill to limit U.S. police use of facial recognition. This is dubbed the Facial Recognition Act. The bill would compile compel law enforcement to obtain a judge-authorized warrant before using facial recognition. Uh, some context, as of right now, this isn't a thing. If police or law enforcement wants to use facial recognition, they can just use it freely with no consequences whatsoever or no oversight or no warrants or anything. This bill also puts other limits on what law enforcement can use facial recognition for, such as immigration enforcement or peaceful protests, or using a facial recognition match as the sole basis for establishing probably probable cause for someone's arrest. If passed, the bill would also require law enforcement to annually test and audit their facial recognition systems and provide detailed reports of how facial recognition systems are used in prosecutions. It would also require police departments and agencies to purge databases of photos of children who were subsequently released without charge, whose charges were dismissed or acquitted. Honestly, this sounds nothing but good to me. I don't know how someone could be against this, in my opinion. Uh, so I would like to see this passed. It is just an introduced bill, so uh, we don't know if it's going to pass yet, but uh, hopefully it does, because it seems like only good stuff. It's just more transparency, more oversight, uh, more control, and more uh, freedom for individuals. So I think it's good. Our next story comes from the EFF, who is urging the FTC to address security and privacy problems in daycare and early education apps. Honestly, I feel like we've covered this story before. It really rings a bell, um, but it was posted recently, so... Uh, we're going ahead and sharing it, and we're mostly sharing this to let parents in the audience know. So the article says, Daycare and preschool applications frequently include notifications of feedings, diaper changes, pictures, activities, and which guardian picked up or dropped off the child, potentially useful features for overcoming separation anxiety of newly enrolled children and their anxious parents. But EFF Director of Engineering Alexis Hancock's recent investigation found early education and daycare apps have several troubling security risks. Some allow public access to children's photos via insecure cloud storage, may have dangerously weak password policies, and at least one tadpoles for parents sends event data, including when the app is activated and deactivated to Facebook, and several enable clear text traffic that can be exploited by network eavesdroppers, unquote. Really troubling. I'm not a parent, so I don't really have a lot of advice for the parents other than just try to avoid these apps if you can. Another article for parents. TikTok faces a $29 million fine in the UK for failing to protect children's privacy. The ICO found the company breached child data protection laws for two years, May 2018 through July 2020. They also failed to provide proper information to its users in a concise, transparent, and easily understood way, and processed special category data without legal grounds to do so. 
Special category data apparently refers to sensitive data like sexual orientation, religious beliefs, ethnic and racial orig origin, political opinions, genetic and biometric data, which I can't for the life of me justify any of these things for the kind of service that TikTok provides to users. But uh, I don't know. I don't think that's a hot take. Uh, so the article points out that this is not the first such fine. The US FTC fined uh, ByteDance. Uh, even in the U.S., over violating child privacy, and there's been lots of other fines. The, uh, TikTok is just kind of the new Facebook, honestly. They know that they're just going to get away with all of this and just going to get some slap on the wrists, and it's worth the cost of doing business. So, unfortunate. They need to know sexual orientation, because if they show me cute girls, I will stay on the platform. That's <laughs> it. Like, I'm joking, that's but really that really it, is it. Yeah. Like religious beliefs, like they're just trying to get to know people as well as possible so that they can keep them on the platform. Australia is overhauling their privacy laws after a massive data breach. So this headline is actually kind of misleading because they're not really changing anything about the privacy laws. Uh, what they are changing is that now they want to require companies who have had a data breach to disclose the breach to banks of affected customers in order to help minimize fraud. This is an opinion. This is this this isn't an opinion. This is a personal analysis. I'm worried that this is going to make data breaches worse because I feel like now they're going to have to ask who your bank is when you sign up. Like, from what I understand, Optus did not breach any bank information. How are they supposed to let the banks of those people know unless they know who your bank is? So, uh, yeah, I feel like this is just going to make the situation worse, to be totally honest. Uh, like I said, slightly misleading headline. That's what they're changing. And the final political news article, Malaysia is migrating from the usage of SMS OTP. Is biometrics the answer? Malaysia's central bank is urging other financial institutions to move away from SMS OTP, 2FA, those texts you get, six-digit verification codes via SMS, towards other more secure methods. They didn't specify what those are, but to be fair, at this point, nearly anything is better than SMS 2FA. Um, there's those push notifications, which are also quickly becoming a problem too. There's also TOTP, which can also be phished. Um, really, like best case scenario at this point, I'm at the point where I'm really just pushing people towards hardware tokens when they can. Um, that seems to be the best case scenario right now and it's not that inconvenient. I find it more convenient than TOTP. I was right about myself. to say that. I just put out a, a review of the solo key and I mentioned that in the video. I'm like, ever since I've been getting back into hardware two-factor, like it's so much easier because I don't have to open my phone and look at the app or like even if I have it saved in like Bitwarden or KeePass, I don't have to like go over, open it, copy the code. Like I just boop and there. Like, it's so easy, yep. man. So easy. I agree. It's easy. And especially if you have multiple of them, like, I have my YubiKey in my laptop the whole, yeah. the whole time. Same. I just tap it. And then I have one on my keychain. Mm. So if I need to, if I ever need access to it, and it uses NFC, oh, so it works with multiple really devices smart. too. So, like, the NFC one's always on my keychain, and it's also <clears> USB C, <throat> so it can plug into anything and it can also do NFC. I can log in from anywhere. That's really um, smart to have one on your keychain. I wish I'd have known that years ago. <laughs> You know who gave me that idea? Who? Carrie Parker. I was oh. doing, I was recording our Techlore chat with Carrie Parker, and Carrie Parker said he keeps on his keychain. I'm like, oh my god, is that what the ring is for on my YubiKey? Oh, I'm such an well, idiot. Well, I, I used like, to keep it on my keychain, <laughs> or I used to keep it somewhere. I don't know. I just remember one time I showed up to a, a freelance gig and I didn't have my YubiKey, and I was like, I have to go all the way home because at the time I had it set up for logging into my computer. So I literally couldn't log oh, in without it. Yeah, worst. it was awful. You know what my problem? So the two things that I keep on my keychain with me everywhere I go is the YubiKey and the Swiss Army knife. And it's like the lightest, smallest Swiss Army knife, but it still has a yep. blade. 
And I always forget to take off the Swiss Army knife when I go to events, like <laughs> concerts and, and things like that. So every time I get in the security line, I'm like, ah, shit, I have my damn Swiss Army knife on me. But I've snuck into like two or three events now because normally they have you like just keep your wallet and phone together. Yeah. And I just hide it under the phone. <laughs> they don't look. And so like I've actually snuck into a few events now with that knife. But I have to keep remembering to like take it off. And the last event I went to, I was able to remember and I left it at home. But um, it's not my luck's not going to last forever. They're going to take my Swiss Army knife someday. Dude, on the topic of that, I uh, years ago, I bought like a Gerber suspension. It's like a $30 multi-tool from Target. Like literally in like 2016, I bought it. And it just broke on me last month. So I went ahead and got a Leatherman Wave, which is great. But it's like way heavier. But it's also like I've been using the Gerber for so long that I've forgotten what a good sharp knife is like. Like, when I got the new one, I popped it open to, like, open a box or something, and it's just like, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so sharp. Gerber, okay, I'm looking. Do they have a um, a multi Yeah, the suspension. That's the one I just mentioned. I had it for, like, six years before it broke. Oh, I had a very similar one, and I got it when I was, like, a kid. Like, really young. I'm talking, like... Like, too young to have a knife. <laughs> well, it's it's good. Like, it's it's... It's good because it allowed me to like, like work. Yeah. With, like I finally got to like work with a tool, and like it was my first experience working with like a knife and like how to use it safely. I was probably like eight or nine when I, mean, I got it. I mean that's fair. I didn't have my um, first. I still have it in my drawer, and like it still <laughs> works. The knife's a little rusted yeah. now, but like yeah, that th those things last forever. Yeah, dude, it lasted me like six years before it finally broke. And I abuse the crap out of my multi tools. So that'll bring us into the free and open source software section, and we're gonna start off talking about Tutanota. The headline says, Tutanota, in your language, help us bring privacy to the world. So we're just signal boosting this really. Tutanota is looking for help translating their stuff. Specifically, this is going to be a lot, so bear with me. They're looking for Bulgarian, simplified and traditional Chinese, Croatian, Danish, Dutch, Estonian, French, Greek, Hebrew, Hindi, Indonesian, Japanese, Korean, Latvian, Norwegian, Portuguese, uh, PT, PT, I don't know what that means, I'm sorry, Romanian, uh, Cyrillic, Serbian, and Turkish. And if that was too fast, the full list is in the article. Uh, even if you don't use Tutanota yourself, if you speak these languages, we would encourage you to go ahead and get, get involved and just help bring secure email choices to other parts of the world. And then the other news from Tutanota is just a quick update. Tutanota's desktop clients are out of beta. So kind of like Proton, we talked about how Proton Drive just came out of beta. I think that was last week or the week before. Um, this doesn't really mean much in terms of like features, like they're not introducing any new features or anything. It just means that they now believe this is more stable and ready for mass use, which is good news. Um, truthfully, I'm told that Pro or, uh, Tutanota is basically just an electron wrapper, but at least there's no bridge, which is, I guess, a pro or a con, depending on how you feel about that. So yeah, if you're a Tutanota user or you're thinking about it, the desktop clients are now out of beta. I wish I was here last week to share my thoughts on Proton Drive leaving beta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would have just been so positive and you would have had nothing but good things to say. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it, it was, it's still such a feature packed experience on all devices that is truly usable. I love how usable my two terabytes of storage on Proton Drive Same. is. <laughs> I will say they, they uh, did, I'm told they finally added folder sharing which I remember I was really annoyed at oh. not having that at the beginning. <laughs> wow, big steps. Hey, Glad it's out hey, of that beta. Is a big step. <laughs> I know, I'm just waiting for like anything that's used. Like there's no desktop. I need desktop, client. Like yeah. you can't even sync it like, like with local files. There's, there's no iOS app. I need app. desktop, or is especially. It... That's terrible. Like... <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, 
All right, all right. We already covered that last <coughs> week. I just I had to get my thought in at some point on that. Um, let's talk about Matrix. Um, so Matrix version 1.4, Matrix is the federated uh, protocol. It now threads, sorry, Matrix version 1.4 has been released, which introduces threads, edits, and private read receipts. These have all been a thing for a while now, but I guess this just means these features are no longer in testing. So it's now stable. And the big news of the week is there were some pretty severe matrix vulnerabilities that have come out from, I believe, a security researcher that's part of Brave's team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they pretty much found that this impacted both the element client as well as the entire matrix protocol. So there was two layers of vulnerabilities and there was actually some debate uh, between matrix and them over the severity and impact of especially the issues pertaining to the matrix protocol. Um, supposedly everything's fixed now though. It was just a de debate over the severity of things, but everything should be fixed. So if you're using element, make sure you're updated, whatever matrix client you use, make sure it's always up to date. This, this might... I might catch a lot of hate for this, and I'm gonna I'm going to accept that. For myself, and I'm going if I'm going for security, I'm not gonna be using something like Matrix yet because it's so new and they're trying to accomplish so much. What Matrix is doing is so complex. No one's done it before. Um, they're trying to build this entirely federated protocol. Like I know there's XMPP, but Matrix is trying to do that while providing by default end-to-end -end encryption and all these cool things. And it's just going to be a messier protocol than something like Signal which is a lot more proven. And so um, for me, my takeaway for this is if you need something that's like high security, make sure you're using things that are a lot more proven and have years of audits and years of experience and years of eyes looking over them. Because in my eyes, Matrix is still developing. It's not something that's like completed yet and that I would recommend for like serious situations. That's just my analysis of things. I don't know if you have thoughts there. Not really, um, but truthfully, I'd, since you ask, I'd say I agree. Um, like not trying to sling shade at Matrix, but I've just heard a lot of specifically concerns about metadata. I've heard that uh, Matrix really collects, um, and some of it is arguably useful, but they do collect a lot of metadata from users. Um, and I, I trust them at this time. I, I don't think they're using it maliciously. I think they are using it for product improvement. But still, like you said, like if, if security was my priority and I was like in a Edward Snowden type situation where I need like maximum... I, I can sleep safely at night security. I would definitely go with like signal would be my first choice, but yeah, matrix would not be my first. They'd probably be somewhere on the list, but they certainly wouldn't be my first choice. So yeah, the anonymity of matrix is nice, but then I would be like, if you want anonymity, just go with Briar. Um, if you're in that like Edward Snowden situation, because yeah. then signal has the phone number requirement, mm -hmm. which is probably not great for the anonymity aspect of things. Also fair. Um, yeah, so I guess for me, when I'm talking about, like, for my security, like, if I'm discussing, like, sensitive things with someone I trust and anonymity is not necessary, I'm not going to be using Matrix for that, unless we're just decided to use Matrix, but um, I would definitely opt for Signal, because it's just so proven at this point. I honestly just think of Matrix as more of, like, a, a more private social media. Like, I don't, I don't even really think of it in terms of security, which, again, I'm not trying to say it can't be secure, but I, you know, I use it for chat rooms, communities... And like I said, more private. I know there's some metadata concerns, but for me, it's to me, it's not like, oh, I want to have this encrypted conversation with somebody. It's like, I want to have a chat room that's not logging every single keystroke I make to sell it to a data company. Like, that's how I think of Matrix. So that's a good point. And it's funny because for me, in order for me to better appreciate Matrix, I had to not look at it that way. <laughs> because when I started looking at it as like a Discord alternative or like a Slack alternative, I started getting really frustrated because 
for me right now, it doesn't anywhere near match that experience I on a usability perspective. So I started getting really critical of Matrix. And so for me, looking at it as more of just a like another messenger that's trying to develop that stuff on the side helped me better appreciate it. But that's just me. I think the reason people say it's like a Discord or a Slack alternative is because it's a real-time chat that allows for different rooms. Like, that's that's what I... When, when people say it's an alternative to that, that's how I think of it in that context. But yeah, like, I don't... I don't think of it as, like, an alternative in the sense of the features. I think of it an alternative in the sense of, like, there's room topics, it's real-time, and it's a little bit more private. So, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Got it. That'll take us into Misfits. Our first story says new hacking group Metador lurking in ISP networks for months. So this was likely a state level actor. Um, if I'm thinking of the right article, I didn't put it in the show notes here, but they didn't get enough information to really make a confident attribution. So we're not sure who the state level actor is, but this was likely a state level actor and they were targeting internet service providers from the Middle East and Africa. If I understood the article correctly, they weren't inserting malware into end users. They were inserting malware onto the ISP infrastructure it was persistent and it affected both Windows and Linux. And persistent, for those who are new, just means that even if you reboot the device, it's still there. So it's very hard to get rid of. I just thought this was a worthwhile story to include because around here, we're real big fans of protecting your traffic, uh, whether that's Tor, whether that's a VPN. These are obviously not perfect tools. We will be the first ones to point out that all those commercials that are like, oh, you download a VPN and now you're totally anonymous and protected from all malware and hackers. Like, no, that's that's BS but they are still good tools that have very valid uses. And this is one of them. If your ISP is compromised, and I would argue that most of them are compromised in the sense that they hate your privacy and want to sell your browsing habits. Uh, and I think, and I think we both think, you know, you should use something to protect your traffic. So again, Tor VPN, whatever you prefer, whatever you trust is totally fine, but just mind your traffic and try to protect it. Yeah. I, I know we have this rant, <laughs> like a lot but i and you know where i'm going with this too but it's like people are like well what if your vpn's collecting your data and it's like but you're, you're telling me you won't get like you're, you're then you're just back in the same spot like your isp is collecting all your data and they are using that data for bad purposes and they're likely sharing that data with other people and so you'd rather not trust some like company that's actively trying to like convince you that like hey we want to like have your trust and your data. I'm thinking companies like Mulvad, iVPN, like all these good VPN providers that clearly are trying to commit to privacy yeah. in some capacity. Worst case scenario, they're lying to you and you're just back where you started. I don't see how it's a win-win situation. Like maybe you're out of some money, like, but you know. Exactly. There's the money. Aspect, yeah. Like there's those, there's those people the out there that are like, I'd rather use Google because what if like Mozilla is spying on me and like Google for security is a different thing for the record before anyone gets mad at me. But like, and you know who I'm talking about too. There's there's a lot of people out there that are like, I'd rather use Google because what if this other company is spying on me? And it's like, you know Google is spying on you. So what have you got to lose by trying it? Like like you said, you're back in the same boat. It's not like you're worse than you were before. Yeah, it's a weird mentality. I don't, I don't get it either. know why. The thing I compared it to, you can feel free to cut this if you want. The thing I compared it to is like, I've got two doors. I know for a fact that if I open the, the door A, someone's going to punch me in the face. But if I open door B, there's a 50-50 chance that someone's going to punch me in the face. Why would I open door A? Because I'm like, well, at least I know I'm going to get punched in the face. Like, hey, man, there's a chance I won't. I'll take it. Yeah, I agree. That's how I see it, too. Um, and again, like, I'm like the whole point of like the Techlore VPN tools and your site, same thing on your VPN page is like to outline the actual pros and cons of VPNs. Yeah. And I feel like 
on both of our ends, we're pretty good at like acknowledging like there are valid pros to VPNs in some situations, and there's valid cons to VPNs in a lot of situations. I have like a whole but paragraph. Yeah, I just don't understand that mentality. I, I've I've started getting in a schedule of reviewing all my products, and on every single VPN review, I have like a whole paragraph where I explain like VPNs do two things: they change your IP address and they encrypt your traffic. That's it. Like. Do you need one? Here's IVPN's site about do I need a VPN? Go check it out. Like, it's in every single review I do. It's like a whole paragraph about like you might not need a VPN. That's totally fine. Maybe people, um, maybe people just can't deal with the uncertainty of situations, and they're just more comfortable with like just even if if it screws them, like they're just more comfortable knowing they're being screwed than like the uncertainty of maybe being screwed. I don't that know. must be it, man. I, I can't. Because, like, yeah, I don't know, that's don't always know. confused me. It's been so weird. Well, the last story of the week, Dolly Image Generator is now open to everyone. I don't, I think it's said, like, Dolly. Um, it's a deep learning image synthesis model that has been trained on hundreds of millions of images pulled from the internet. It uses a technique called latent diffusion to learn associations between words and images. As a result, Dolly users can type in a text description called a prompt and see it rendered visually as a 1024 by 1024 pixel image in almost any artistic style. So like you could type in mango, right? You just type the word mango and then it renders a mango. Pretty cool. Um, the waitlist has been removed and it's now open to everyone. So beware. And uh, that is where the world is headed right now. So very cool and very uh, scary. For the record, you can also type in more complex things like, I don't know, Bruce Willis, throwing, ma juggling mangoes, and it'll Henry. try to create images of Bruce Willis juggling mango. Henry from TechLore eating a mango. There you go. <laughs> that's something that's never been seen. It has not been seen. You don't like mangoes? No, I love mangoes. I have. I some was about to say, you're a monster. <laughs> I have some dried mangoes from Trader Joe's right oh, here. That sounds so good. I love yeah, you want too. one? You want yeah, one? that'd be nice. Huh? Along with the proton stickers. You want to send those over? Yeah, you want the proton stickers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was it for stories. And sadly, there's no Q&A. Again, we do a Q&A, and this is from our patrons. So if you have any questions to ask us about um, ourselves, about mangoes, about privacy, security, a story, um, join our Patreon. And we have a Q&A there that you can go ahead and ask questions, and we get back to them when we can in next week's report. Uh, and that's really it for the week. So brave cookie consent banners, TikTok facing more fines, severe matrix vulnerabilities were fixed, and some data breach updates. And again, if you want to support us, that Patreon is the best way to do it. But if you want to do it privately, we offer the option for Monero. And we also want to thank you for listening to the surveillance reports. The final thing we want to do is ask... The final thing we want to ask is for you to share the podcast around because word of mouth is really important in spreading this stuff and trying to get privacy and security in front of more people. So thanks again for listening. Help us out by sharing it around and we'll see you next week.